The Parant Favel Generation X podcast is powered by Biscuit Tees and Favel Fitness, bringing you unique comfort and style while optimizing a healthy organic lifestyle. Nice to meet you, Paul. Finally. I never played with your dad, but I did play with yours, Corey. And, uh, of course, yeah. uh, he and I were in the American <laughs> League at the Firebirds, and he was he was actually yeah. commuting back and forth between Colorado and Philadelphia, back and forth. And I was with Cincinnati, and I was back and forth between those two towns. So yeah. we struck up a, a great liaison relationship. And uh, Bernie, <laughs> of course – First time I saw him play was with the Philadelphia Firebirds. Okay. And I was at that infamous game when, yeah. when the Zamboni crashed through the ice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I know that story. Yeah. Well, what happened was uh, they went to the Civic Center and they put a, a rink on top of the uh, the wooden floor. but And they did it much like you do an ice cube tray, they, they filled it with water, but they, they hadn't allowed the water to cure. So the top part of the ice was frozen and strong enough to hold skaters. But when the Zamboni came out, it was so heavy. It, oh, God. It came <laughs> oh, it, just, just like a skidoo out on the pond. And, and uh, they had given out these ceremonial red pucks with uh, gold trim to match the, the Blazers' colors. Uh-oh. Derek Sanderson was the captain, and uh, Johnny McKenzie was the um, was the player coach. And, of course, Philadelphia being Philadelphia, they boo Santa Claus. Um, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, the people started throwing those pucks at Sanderson. Oh, my and, God. Oh, it, was like, it was like watching Sergeant York in the trenches with the, oh my God. <laughs> with the Germans throwing hand grenades at him. <laughs> yeah, giving out pucks. Who was it? Oh, Lou Scheinfeld was saying that at one point they gave out pucks and realized very quickly that that was not a smart thing to do. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no, that's funny. Well, that's my dad. Um, like I said, as I get older, the stories get better um, with my dad. And I remember, um, yeah, you guys played uh, with the uh, Philadelphia Firebirds. And I remember because I was a big fan of yours. I, I loved your style of play. I uh, When you play Boston, Man, we had the satellite dish, so I always got Nesson. And, man, you came in and fought four guys. We can get into that, but you came in and, and fought four of the toughest guys in the league. Um, so I, I was a big fan of yours. And then as you transitioned into the refereeing, um, I I loved because you had played that style of game. I loved the way you refed. And and so when my dad told me some stories in, in uh, with the Firebirds, he's like, oh, Stewie. Yeah, Stewie's at the Firebirds. Man, he you were all heart. He said, you were heart. You were, even if you're down 12, nothing, you were out there still giving everything you got and laying it all on the line. So like I said, my dad said to say hi to you and he's, he had a lot of respect for you too. So yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah. you know, I was fortunate to be in Philadelphia to go to the university and have a chance to see the flyers in particular, yeah. because yeah. they were a team that, I think uh, I would like to say I modeled myself after in a way because they had such a great worth work ethic. And, yeah. and when things were tough for me at times, I remember some of the things that the, the players would say to me and they, 
they helped me sustain myself when my junior year I didn't play a game. I never dressed one game. I went wow. to practice every day and never dressed. Wow. And then my senior year I played three games and I was actually leading the team in scoring and the coach came to me and said he wasn't going to use me the rest of the year. Wow. And I bought a $14 bus ticket to Binghamton on the advice of Bob Kelly, the hound. Yeah. Okay. Said to me, Pick the worst team in the worst league and ask him for a tryout. And I went to Binghamton and uh, I set the penalty minute record there in 46 games. I had 273 minutes. I had 44 fights. And wow. because I knew, yeah. you know, I hadn't the experience and I had to buy time for myself and I had to buy I had to buy room and I had to buy experience and I had to do it with my hands. And of yeah. course the Flyers were winning Stanley Cups and uh, they were, and, and the way Fred Shiro and Mike Nicola coached, they took players and you, you, your parents were both goaltenders, yeah. but they took players and turned them from average players into the best of what their ability was. Yeah. And I always thought that was a, a particularly great thing. And when, when it was really difficult for me at one time, Barry Ashby said to me, don't quit, kid. Yeah. He said, it took me 12 years to get here. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I just, uh, I have special reverence, even though later on, Bobby Clark and I probably didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff, you know, when I was reffing. There's always something about a referee. I don't think it was necessary that he didn't like me as a person. I think it's they just don't like polyester black sweaters, black and white sweaters. <laughs> but but uh, the, the you you look at those fellows that were on that team and and you know they 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 took six guys playing defense that weren't all stars and won yeah. the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. And I always say that that was a, a great example of what a team was about because yeah they had leach and clark and barber but they, they had guys that were back checking and 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 making it easier for the goaltenders mm -hmm. to stand up and play their games and both both uh doug and and bernie were stand up uh angle goaltenders that you know they made that big stop and then joe watson and jimmy and and Van Imp and that crowd, they, they just cleared the pucks away. And yeah. it's funny, like a lot of talk um, about how great, obviously, you know, Clark and those guys were, but there were the other players don't always get as much credit as they deserve because of, I guess, the standout playing of Clark and people like that. But that team had a lot of good talent, like you said. My dad said, thank God he had Van Emp in front of him. You know, it's a, <laughs> Nobody wanted to go the, through the there. The <laughs> if Eddie didn't make it as a hockey player, he could have been a great uh, uh, mower of hay because he could he could, scythe, <laughs> he, yeah. he could scythe a lot of guys out of the front of the net. But they, they had Moose DuPont and they, they had a, you know, they had a, an eclectic group of guys For that sure. found their chemistry. And they had a great magician behind the bench who kept them oh, all guessing. For sure. Off balance. And, and I'm thinking, Kim, that, you know, knowing that um, as I do the, the, the whole situation, that you were probably just a, a young young lady. Yeah, uh, I was little. When the, when the Flyers. When they yeah. won, I was but like two or three. Yeah. So. I, I was at the Flyers practices every day. Really? And. Yeah, at, at Penn, because I drove the Zamboni and, you know, my my family didn't come from a lot of means. My dad was a high school teacher and a coach and right. we did the best we could. But I, I worked 
at the rink, painting and cleaning yeah. and helping Jimmy and, and Frank, the trainers yeah. for the Flyers. Yeah. I, I did everything. I, Bobby Clark had a uh, diabetic fit one day, having not had breakfast, and he showed up for practice. And he started to go into uh, convulsions. And I was a big kid, and I sat on him, and Frank Lewis took a, a, a tube of glucose and squeezed it down his throat. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. And, you know, and, 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 you know that, that settled his, his uh -huh. blood sugar deficiency. Wow. But it, it was funny because years later, Clark came into my room, and he started yapping at me about something, and, you know, I wasn't uh -oh. so tough and this and that. It was tough enough to s sit on your chest. <laughs> well, I Frank Lewis. Life, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize your connection to the Flyers. I love that. Like, I had no oh, yeah, sure. clue. Yeah, the, uh, and, and, and Mr. Snyder, well, his son Jay went to Penn. He was a few years behind me, mm -hmm. but... Um, Mr. Snyder was always very respectful. He knew who I was. And of course, I played against the Flyers and I had some long nights a few times. Right? <laughs> I'm sure. I fought McLarge one. I fought, I fought, I fought McLarge one night, but I had a choice between McLarge, Paddock, and Wilson. And they were all six, three or better. And I was like, which one do I take? <laughs> I, I still have a little scar here from the, no. from the stitches, but oh yeah. You know, it's funny because Bucky would uh, go arrest us, so he was a good guy. He was a tough guy. Yeah. And, you know, and I had seen him playing for Richmond Robins when they were the farm team of the Flyers. And then later on uh, when he was playing for the Flyers and then Maine, you know, like coaching, he was coaching. But um, they, had a, they had a good group of people there and – the fun Joe Cadillac was, was outstanding Joe. to me. Yeah, Ever yeah. Mentions he, Joe. Yeah, yeah he, he, and, and, and Dave Schultz and his brother, who uh, passed away, I played against his brother. Um, his, they took me to the uh, Ali fight uh, with with Joe Frazier, uh, the thriller from Manila, and and <laughs> it was interesting because uh, you know I remember um, Mel Bridgman as a rookie and. Uh, going over to Cherry Hill and skating with the, with the kids, the rookies early before the season started. And yeah, my ties with the flyers, uh, I would have been a great flyer. I, yeah. You would have been, right been a great flyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've talked, we had Ray, our, uh, yeah, Ray Shero on and talked about Fred, his dad and just how innovative he was. And, um, at the time, just come, you know, asking for an assistant coach, doing things that weren't typical then. So, they were uh, they were a lucky bunch to have him behind the bench there. Yeah. No doubt about it. And when I was playing for Quebec, he was with the Rangers coaching, and mm -hmm. I took one of his things that I saw his team doing, which was jumping rope. And I, in between periods, I hadn't played, and I went out in the hallway with my skates on and, and jumped rope. And he came out, he heard my skates clacking off, <laughs> yeah. off the linoleum. I said, something I learned at the class of 23 rink from you. And he, he, he just, he, he chuckled, you know. <laughs> rest his soul. He was a good fella. Yeah. And, and as I say, Nick Luck. But Barry Ashby uh, used to take me aside. But like I say, the Flyers, Terry Crisp, and uh, Rick McLeish, especially, yeah. I, I used to work with him every day. And I, when I watch games and I watch things like centermen and how they win draws, I mean, he had arms on him like a longshoreman, mm -hmm. strong and, and, and really great wrists and quick hands. And he showed me and taught me a lot about how to win faceoffs and things that, that I saw that, that um, when I watched yeah. games later on as a referee, 
I sort of, uh, you know, picked up on stuff because of what I learned from watching the Flyers practice and play. Wow. Yeah, and, that, and how was that transition, going from a player to a ref? And how were you perceived well, by the other I players? To, I have to say that the most important part of it to me was the aspect of being still on the ice and having the opportunity to uh, fulfill, in some senses, uh, a lot of the the earning the well the angst that I had about not playing so much, and I still yeah. felt I was you know capable of contributing. But I had great uh, a great mentors in John McCauley and Scotty Morrison that Kerry spoke of, and and Frank Atvari and John Ashley who were supervisors, but. People don't know. My grandfather was the mm -hmm. first American to referee in the NHL yeah. in 1920. Didn't he oh. win a cup? When yeah. he, didn't he and ref? then he coached and was yeah. general manager for two years and won a Stanley Cup. Right, right. And yeah. my father was a three-sport official in college uh, at the highest levels and football, hockey, baseball. So going into officiating in some senses was no different than – taking one slice of the pizza and then taking the next mm -hmm. each each one head sausage and one head pepperoni and <laughs> you know, it's a pizza but it's a different it's a different attitude and a different taste right like you said you got to stay in the game and be on the ice and 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 be a part of it all it's pretty I, cool and, I, and when i was a little boy if you, if you, there's a children's book it's called the magical christmas for paul stewart um <laughs> I'm going to have to put my. I'm going to plug my. my I'm, I got to plug my uh, computer in here. I, uh, I didn't realize I'm running uh, out of power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, there we go. So basically, um, when I was five and I took my first twirl around the rink, Boston Arena, uh, where Northeastern plays and where the Bruins originally played back in the 20s. Um, I, I was lucky. I, I found out at age five, this is what I want to do. And no matter how many people tried to talk me out of it or beat me, beat, beat it out of me, mm -hmm. uh, I never quit on that idea. And then once I got there and I was playing, you know, for seven, seven and a half years as a, as a pro minor leagues, majors, it didn't matter to me. What mattered was that I was, I was fulfilling my dream, but then I was frustrated and I had several years of not doing anything with hockey. I, I was coaching a high school team, but I was a police officer. I, I sold cars. I did a radio show. I did all sorts of things to try to find a niche. And someone said to me, you know, I was refereeing minor league peewee hockey and stuff such as that. They said to me, you should go to, back to the NHL. So I, I mm -hmm. called Scotty Morrison and asked him for a tryout, just like I did with with uh, Binghamton when, yeah. when when the Hound told me to try that. And they were looking for ex-players, plus my yeah. bloodlines and my pedigree, and mm -hmm. I could skate, and I was big guy, and, you know, I, I was somewhat tough. So, you know, I could fit in to the game. Well, you and, understood the game too, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because I was the reason there was a referee. <laughs> <laughs> you went from breaking the rules to enforcing yeah. them. You know? You're the reason yeah. they brought they brought the instigator in too, which yeah, <laughs> which I'm not a fan of. But well, yeah. no, you know it's interesting because if I went down the list of guys that I fought over the course of time, you're not going to find too many softies. Yeah. And the reason <laughs> is because 
you know, I was six one. I was two hundred and ten pounds. I used to spar with Joe Frazier. I used to yeah. work out with Marvin Hagler. Wow. I, I took I took karate and cool. aikido. <laughs> yeah. Philadelphia from a from a martial arts expert, and I, I learned how to defend myself, and I learned how to to do the job I had to do to stay or get to the National Hockey League as a player. But when it became obvious that I was getting older and I was slowing down, yeah, I had to find another way. So I did. And I wasn't the first. I mean, King Clancy played for Toronto, and then he was a referee, and then he became yeah. a general manager and all. So, I mean, I'm not the first guy to ever do it. I'm the first American to do it and first American to reach a 1,000 games as a referee. So the, the fact is that it's, it's about the passion for the game. And that's why you do you you both are doing what you do now because sure. you know you're 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 part of the game, and yeah. and I always have great respect for people that want to be part of our game. Yeah, yeah, and, and growing but, up in it, it's just becomes part of your blood. Like it's just natural yeah. to do things now. Yeah. And now there's so many yeah. different ways to do it. Like we have this podcast, and we have people like you on, and we hear stories yeah. about our dads and yeah. and. Um, stories that some of the younger yeah. generation hasn't heard so it's it's been fun for us to to do this and and to bring yeah. people together and other kids from other players and stuff so it's been so, a lot of fun but like and, just those old stories that we never heard yeah and what i like paul is i wasn't a goalie i started out maybe when i was about nine or ten i made the transition into uh a forward and guys like yourself and you know my favorite players were power forwards but you know, I wasn't a very big guy, but um, going back to um, you're talking about Penn State, I played Division three, maybe 10 games, Division three, uh, just a small community college here. But Penn State was in our league. And when we went over to play, I was telling our producer earlier, I said, the only real, you know, uh, contact I have with the referee was when we were in Penn State. The coach sent me over to talk to the ref. And when I got over there, he looked at me and he said, they sent you over. You're only on the team because of your last name. <laughs> and and I laughed. I was like, yeah, I know I'm a fourth liner or whatever. I said, but you know what? I hope you don't have plans after the game because we're going to keep you here till midnight. And honestly, and I told the story. We had a five on five brawl. It was absolutely nuts. And we we're there all night. And and I laughed because, you know, with your history at Penn State, um, that was something I found interesting. I'm like, man, I didn't, you know, I didn't play a lot of hockey. But as a forward, I brought my lunch pail to work. I did my job. I worked hard. And my dad always, you know, oh, you always like the fighters. You like the fighters. I said, later on in life, I realized these are the guys that work the hardest to, you know, they brought their lunch pail to work. They went out there and they did their job. And kind of like yourself, you guys were always really good hockey players. And you get to a certain point where what's going to take you to that next level above the next kid. And you find your niche. Yours was with your hands. So uh, that was just something kind of that, I develop a lot of younger kids and these days, you know, I'm in St. Catharines in Ontario. I've been, you know, I refereed tried, there. Yeah. I, well, now I've kind of been pushing with the U S development. Um, I had a kid, Dawson Lukey who played here and he went to prep school in Ohio and he's finding the development with the USA hockey program is amazing. So it, it, it's kind of tough over here. Not a lot of kids playing, but, I know you're very involved with the USA hockey development. What, uh, any type of little advice for, you know, younger elite junior players going into major junior, what, what would you suggest to them? Do you like the U S development? 
the Canadian development. You, you've been in both. So. Well, and I'm the commissioner of the private school league, which is the high-end prep schools, places like where Roanick played and uh, Thayer Academy and uh, uh, yep. Miles Lane played at Noble and Greeno. I'm the commissioner of that league, and I handle the officiating and the rules and the discipline. Oh, wow. um, I think I think the most important thing, and I learned this through the Flyers in a way, was the way that they practiced that they always constantly were working on their skating and their turning and their edges. And yeah. the secret that I learned after all these years, I was 28 years on the ice as a pro and at various levels and various jobs. But, you know, the tough guys in the Eastern League were just as tough as the guys in the National League. So if I yeah. had to fight a guy down in the minors, you know, it was just as much of a challenge for me. And for <laughs> me, it was, and a lot of people don't get this, but it was survival. I had to survive. It was a week-to-week -week paycheck. And yeah. I tell kids all the time that you've got to be the best skater that you can possibly be. And regardless of what position you play or if you get into officiating, like Fraser, he was a good skater. I was yeah. a big, strong skater yeah. that couldn't get knocked down. And yeah. I think that that's the one key. And forward and backward. I used to watch the Flyers practice, and he always – Shiro always and Nikolic always had the defensemen. They didn't cross over when they went backwards. They just made C cuts. And yeah. you'd sit and you'd listen to the coaches explain why they want it done this way. And it was just something that when I teach officials, young officials now, I talk about positioning being the most important thing. The money's at the net and get yeah. to the net. And all of those aspects of decision-making will become easier if you have great sight lines. But skating gives you those sight lines. So that's one thing. The second thing is, there, there's no doubt about it, You need there's a difference between the men's and the women's hockey. But the one thing that's a universal truth for both players in both different types of, of, of those games is you've got to have upper body strength. And that comes, you don't have to sit in the weight room all day long, but if you can do a lot of push-ups and you can do a lot of crunches and you have core strength, your yeah. legs, jumping rope and, and yeah. doing step-ups and step-downs, these are things that you don't need a lot of gymnasium to, yeah. to improve yourself physically and personally. And then if you're a player, you've got to be able to shoot. Yeah. And especially goaltenders. Goaltenders now, if you can't shoot the puck, they're not going to look at you. And that's because they're the third defenseman back there. And they've got to be able to be mobile. They've got to be good skaters. I played with Mike Liud. He was a great skater and he was a good athlete. And yeah. I played against, of course, uh, you know, the, per the Perrants and the Favelles and, <laughs> and Jockerman and all those other guys back in, the, in those days. Um, I got tickled a few times with the stick of Billy Smith. Billy said to me one night, how come, how come you and I never fought? And I said, I didn't want to get killed. He says, I watched you fight. He says, I would have had to kill you nine times. You kept getting up. But most of my fights against him, I fought every Islander except for Gillies. Um, <laughs> and they were always because of Billy Smith. Uh, <laughs> did you ever have any run-ins with bernie uh no i didn't as a matter of yeah. fact um it's i i i'm sorry to say that i think i was at the game the night that he got the stick 
mm-hmm. in, oh, in his mask. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's not an embarrassing story, and I'm sure your dad would remember it. He was playing for the Blazers against the Winnipeg Jets, and Bobby Hull came around the net at the, at the, at the near end, at the, at the closed end of the rink, and circled the net, picked the puck up, and he let a shot go about five feet this side of the red line. And your father went, and it was in and out. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about that that Life magazine picture of Bobby Hull, you know, throwing the bale of hay. And I just, there's a reason why the guy could shoot the puck that way. And but you know, I I I recall your dad uh, with the Bruins organization, and uh, I you know I watched him. um, You know, he 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 was a classic stand-up goaltender that. And he, but he was very athletic and very acrobatic. In in, he was a big guy. He, he was not. He's not. A, he's not a little guy. And your dad, uh, Corey, uh, he just he just had he had that Jerry Cheever's fun attitude about <laughs> playing the game. You know, he <laughs> he didn't like getting hit with pucks a lot. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's cheesy. My dad still golf a lot together. They they hang out a lot still too. So. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of St. Catharines roots, but that, they're nice that's... guys. Yeah. <laughs> I refereed in St. Catharines one night. Uh, Brophy was coaching, and oh, the Saints, uh, St. Catharines yeah, Saints, yeah. And and I called a penalty shot right at the end of the game. Val James, a black kid from uh, yeah. Long Island, was playing for for Brof. Yeah, and I had skated around. And I said to Val, you know, and I fought him, and, and <laughs> I didn't do all that well with him, but at any rate. Um, I called the penalty shot, and Brophy, he, he, he looked like one of the, the, the flying lenses. He was, he was tiptoeing <laughs> down the top of the boards, giving me... Blah, blah, blah. But, but I'll tell you a funny story about another flyer. Um, I'm, co- I'm reffing a game in Sudbury one night, and they're playing the Sioux. And this was part of my training to learn how to be a referee and working in the various leagues and growing up with these young players. And uh, the captain of the Sioux came out and uh and terry crisp was coaching and and he skated up to me and he his helmet just reached above my chin (laughs) and he said to me my coach and i grabbed him right by the sweater and i pulled him in i said what did your coach say? (laughs) (laughs) The kid was petrified. (laughs) He told me to tell you that if you don't take hold of this game, there's going to be a hell of a brawl. <laughs> and I said, you go tell him I haven't seen a good brawl in years. He <laughs> 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 went back and Crispy, he's leaning over the boards and the kid points and says, oh, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and Crispy walked up the runway between the benches. He was laughing so hard he couldn't keep his face. <laughs> well, he knew. He's like, oh, shit. That's up Stewie's alley. <laughs> I'll let you play. I'll let you play. Now, speaking of of, um, the coach saying stuff, was there a time where like a GM or someone came down after a game and gave you a hard time about any calls or any situation like that? Well, in particular, uh, at the Spectrum, as I say, Bobby Clark came in the dressing room one night under the pretense to ask a question, and I let him come (laughs) in, which I shouldn't have, but he, he... he addressed the question to uh, Ron Asseltine, who was the linesman, and then he turned on me, and he started. And I turned, and I said to him, just a second. And I, I went like this. I looked, and I looked 
He goes, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for uh, Schultz. <laughs> because I said, you, you'd never come into my face without those three guys nearby. He says, I'll have your job. I said, no, it takes guts to do my job. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, <gee>. <laughs> <laughs> I said, so you can you can go call Toronto or call New York or call whoever you want. I said, but that's the end of this conversation. And yeah. uh, the security guy, uh, ironic, his name is Tony Esposito. He he was standing there. He says, I've never seen anybody talk to Bobby Clark like that. I said, well, you won't be able to say that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, the, secur- the security guy's name was Tony Esposito? Yeah, Nuh-uh. isn't that funny? Yeah, he was a U.S. Uh, customs uh, enforcement agent uh, working, I guess, uh, f- for the feds and uh, – uh, they had a lot of federal guys, FBI, and other different places, different people. Um, but I, I, I've, I've been accosted. Uh, I had a coach one night in the American League punch me, wow. and I just looked at him. I said, oh. is, "Is that the best you got?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny because um, he got fired, and a couple weeks later, I saw him walking through the through the uh, the new. Uh, the new building in Philadelphia, what do they call it now? The uh, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo building. Yeah. And and I said, it was Andre Savard. And I said to him, uh, how's it going? You know, in French, back and forth. And I'm sure you speak French, right, Kim? <laughs> Not <laughs> too much, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> Kim's born so, bred Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knows how to order a cheesesteak wit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, Savard, he said to me, oh, you talking to me he says uh we we almost got into it a couple of weeks ago i turned i said yeah, it was two weeks ago you paid your fine see you later doesn't bother me <laughs> nothing yeah. nothing bothered me and you know uh, one night keenan was coaching in st louis and he, he every time i put my hand up for a line change he goes you know and i said what he goes you're a no good and whatever uh-huh. and i said and he kept saying it. And every time I say, I just want a line change. You want a line change? You I turn and I said, did they teach you to talk like that at St. Lawrence? And he looks at me. I, I said, let me ask you a question. He goes, what? I said, what, do you, what did you say again to me? He goes, you're in no good. I said, I am very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> I said, ask Brent Hull. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving it to the imagination of the, yeah. your viewers and audience. But Sometimes it's much better that way. <laughs> and and Keenan, Keenan, he just he couldn't keep himself in 20 years of reffing. Yeah. And I had, you know, Pat Quinn and I had um, Bob McCammon, and I can go down the list of all the coaches and, and different people I had, Milbury and all never threw a coach out and I only gave four bench minors two to Ron Wilson, who I played with one to Fatoric, who I lived with <sighs> and the other one to Bob Murray, God rest his soul. Um, who had a lisp and he kept saying, Paul, Oh my God. What a thrill. Getting spit on by the U. That's so you, you actually threw Robbie Fatoric out. He was, you guys were buddies. I never threw a coach out. I gave him a bench minor. Bench minor. Okay. It was in the minors, and yeah. um, they were playing Maine. He was coaching New Haven. He was part of L.A.'s system. And uh, just before he got there with Gretzky and all that. But he was yeah. – uh, Robbie and I, I played with him for three years, and I lived in his house, actually. And I used to babysit his kids, <laughs> Sam yeah. and Lucy. And uh, yeah. and his wife, Wendy, great friends of mine. We grew up in the same 
location in Boston and he's the best high school player to ever play in, in our, yeah. in our city, in our state. But yeah. you know, there, there's a way about going through the, the rigors and the, the, the friction of the game without getting to the point where you have to toss them. And I, I, I never f- got to the point where I felt I had to toss a guy because I could just yeah. say, you know, I'll be here at the end of the night. You might not be, or whatever the case might be. Uh, I said to uh, Pat Burns, who I rest his soul, is a good guy, but he and I had friction. I said, you're only pissed off because if you and I were cops together, I'd be driving and you'd be buying the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's funny because uh, my son goes to Stansted, which is a prep school in Quebec, and a great school, and they have the Pat Burns Arena, and – I, I did the very inaugural game, and his his widow Lynn, who's a wonderful person, um, you know, we, I said to her, you know, uh, your husband was yelling at me one night, and I skated over. I said, I want you to tell your wife. He goes, my wife, what? I said, that's a beautiful tie she picked out. <laughs> to, to me, being on the ice was fun. Right. And to yeah. me, you know. When it's all said and done, we want the same things. We want we want to see the game played well, and we want to have people who are buying the tickets enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, I, I have people in the game that don't like me, and that's fine. You know, but I was going to um, ask because Kerry said um, a couple you know instances he had with Flurry, and I forget who the other was. A couple guys he said that never really liked him, so there was always some kind of tension. Do you have any players that yeah, well, had that I, with? I, I, I had problems with Lindros. I had problems with Eisenman. Uh, Eisenman, it wasn't anything he said about me. It was the way he treated some of the linesmen, and I didn't like it. And I was the guy that always stood up for my teammates. Mm -hmm. So uh, he started one night in New York, and he started another night in Detroit. I just sent him home, and I didn't care. It didn't matter to me who anybody was. Right. uh, I, I, I tossed Gretzky. He handed me his stick, and I love Wayne. He's a great guy. I knew his parents so well, and I know his brother. And and you know, it's nothing personal. It's mm-hmm. business. And 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 uh, I I tossed Lemieux. He bumped me. You can't do that. Right. <laughs> and 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 Eisenman, I dumped him because you know he, he questioned my sexual preference. I suppose. You're <laughs> out. <laughs> well, I laughed too because when you know I play men's league and stuff and i have a couple friends who are referees and they can handle themselves so when i hear a guy on the bench ah you know what yeah i'd love to take that referee out and like that referee would kick the shit out of you any day (laughs) so i I love it when you know especially this one that we have here today (laughs) yeah i know and that's the same players must have you know extra little bit of respect for you know what you did you know in the game and what you you brought to the game so you you jump in the ring boxing and you're sparring with Aaron Pryor, who's the world's champion. And yeah. you know, I had him by 50 pounds, but he went around me like like a mosquito. He, yeah. he just, you know, zoom, 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 and he was hitting me. And and and, and when you when you're sparring with Joe Frazier, and he, you know, he's big, he's thick, yeah. and he hits you, you, you feel it. Uh-huh. But I, I had no fear. Yeah. I had, and I I have never had any fear. Yeah. And you know why? I grew up in a tough neighborhood. And in, 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 in Dorchester, Mass, and read yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, 
it's a tough neighborhood. And my brother got stabbed on Christmas Eve coming out of uh, a, a park with that they had flooded, and kids were skating on on this little man-made pond, and the guy wanted his hockey stick, and you know he almost died. And wow. that's yeah. the type of neighborhood I grew up on. So yeah. you just, you know. There's, there are only two ways to go home. You go River Street, they steal your sneakers. You go, yeah. you go Morton Street, they steal your lunch money. So yeah. you got to learn how to stand up for yourself. And the fact yeah. is that, that you know, I, I got inducted recently to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. And mm -hmm. the night before the induction, I got two phone calls from two totally different people, but both of whom I respect. One was from Wayne Gretzky yeah. congratulating me, which is such a, a prime example of how – well, he was raised by his mom and dad. Yeah. And, you know, that that is says volumes. The other guy was a guy uh, that, you know, he didn't he wasn't filmed in Slapshot, but he was mentioned was Jack Carlson. And Jack was playing for Hartford and I fought him one night and I fought him twice, actually. And he and I never talked. And I, I know his brothers, and I was in the movie Slapshot with, with, with Paul Newman and such, a little small part. But <laughs> the fact is that he called me up and and told me how proud he was. Oh. You know, that to me yeah. speaks a lot. Yeah. Because yeah. it's about respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and no. sorry, Kim, I was going to say too, Paul actually fought every handsome brother. The real Hanson brothers. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Jack Carlson. Dave Hanson. Yeah. He runs. He runs the uh, sports complex in Pittsburgh where the Flyers <laughs> used to practice. And this uh, kid played for Notre Dame. And he married a girl from Johnstown. And he was a tough kid. He played in Birmingham. And our lives sort of entwined with one another. And I just, you know, you can't be considered tough unless you have tough things happen to you. And you deal with them, mm -hmm. and you come out of it with, with, with some semblance of, of of honor. And I'm not just talking about fighting, but you know, having cancer or yeah. doing things that you know are the morally correct things to do. That's how you find out. Because mm -hmm. some of the toughest guys I ever watched on the hockey rink weren't the biggest guys. Joe Sackick, to me, was as tough as they came. Yeah. And a guy like Oris Kinderchuk played for the Flyers. Mm -hmm. I mean, he got his he got his ass whipped night after night because he wasn't a big guy, but he played big, and played hard. And yeah. I just think that overall, you know, you you really need to have a definition of what toughness is. It is it isn't just being yeah. able to throw the throw the hands, but it it has a lot to do with being able to get yourself up and come back and. Uh, you know, for anybody that wants to read my story, they can get my book. You want to go? I yeah. got a picture of Terry O'Reilly and me squaring <laughs> off, and people yeah. say, "Oh, it's all about fighting." Nope, it has nothing to do with it. It, yeah. it's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. It's about taking a walk through my life and finding out, you know, what I had to do. Yeah, you've had to well, uh, fight for, for all you've accomplished in your life. Nothing was handed to you. I was on you. chemo for eight months, 1998, um, and I refereed from November through Christmas where I got two treatments a day for chemo wow. and, well, and I, I had stage four. Yeah. I had stage four in wow. traveling and I had stage four colon cancer and I had liver cancer. And then I came back from Russia six years ago now and I had a brain tumor and, uh, 
Wow. I had skin cancer, you know, from the sun. You know, we Irish, we we don't we don't we don't <laughs> make. <laughs> but you know, toughness is toughness, mm-hmm. and you know, you can get my book on Amazon. And this is a and plug what's the for my title book, of it again? Yeah, so want to go? Hear it? Okay. You want to go. go? And and the children's book is the magical Christmas for Paul Stewart, and that actually National Public Radio turned that into a Christmas Eve broadcast. Really. Yeah, wow. and, and and it it's so and the, the funds for that my friend Matthew Sherman he was only 9 he took my story and he turned it into a school project and which became a, a children's book. And I love that. They, they they offered me he lives just across the river by Washington's Crossing and his mom is my agent but her her uh, his uncle is Bill Meltzer who who does a lot of writing at oh, the yeah. Flyers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah great guy. Bill. Yeah. And his dad is uh oncology guy at Sloan Kettering in New York. Oh, and his wow. brother Sammy's the uh, smartest guy on the tree, I'm telling you. What is, it's such a small <laughs> world, though. You know, you know what they did? They Instead of taking the profit, they, they, they donated it to Snyder Youth Hockey. Really? And Ice wow. Hockey in Harlem. You know, and my thinking yeah. is, you know, skates did so much for me. I mean, I got to the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, I got to I went to Groton School and that's where Franklin Roosevelt went. And my roommate's a congressman. So long story short, you know, being able to play hockey, being an athlete and, you know, you got to have some brains to get in the pen. But I I was fortunate that I found my my life, what I wanted to do when I put my skates on. But I also I did read too. Speaking of what you said, that yeah, you were great at what you did. But you also could sit and talk to someone about history for two hours, or you know, just a variety of different subjects that, uh, just how interesting you are with all the different topics. Well, I'm a voracious reader, and I always felt that the National Hockey League didn't understand that when they sent me on those road trips that I was the world's best tourist, and I used to find <laughs> all these museums and and uh, love to explore and. You know, I showed up for the rink and did my job, but I also, when I had the opportunity to go to Chicago and, and to go see the German U-boat and you go to Philadelphia and, and my friend Tony Esposito, the, the security yeah. guy, he, he got me into the mothball ships and I'm walking on the deck of the Wisconsin and oh, walking cool. on the deck of the New Jersey and, and looking at, at at the history there of, of, of the Marine barracks where Chesty Puller was when he was a was first lieutenant and you know all of these and of course you know the liberty bell and and uh, you know there's another bostonian that came to philadelphia he did pretty well too his name was ben franklin and, uh, <laughs> did a little bit <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think that uh you know being able uh, that story you got was about doris Kearns goodwin who's the yes. famous author and uh, she lives in concord mass and I just happened to sit next to her on a flight. And it's interesting because uh, many of what, I, all of the books that she writes, I, I get and I read and I love to read. And I think that, you know, for kids, if you want to be a hockey player, you've got to be able to skate and always work on your skating. The second thing is, if you want to be able to communicate and you want to do well in school, read books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big reader, too. I mean, you you can see over here, I think, um, there's a little bookshelf, and I read a lot. Yeah. And all things considered. Um, So we're getting close to the noon hour. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I think we'll wrap it up with one or two more questions. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what do you got there, Core? I was interested. I train a lot of, like I said, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids uh, following that path. I was interested in your son and going to Stansted and um, what – What's his path like going to Stansted? I had a lot of kids go to, to prep schools in the States this year, Stansted in Quebec. It always comes up, but I just wanted to kind of get, you know, your feedback on what your son's path is right now. Well, um, he's 19. He's a late uh, 2001 birth. So he won't be 20 until October. Yeah. Um, of course, COVID wiped out the hockey season pretty much for everybody. Uh, yeah. No one pay, played a full season. And so he played maybe a dozen games and, of course, skated every day. But yeah. at 6'3 and 185 pounds, he's got room to, to develop. Yeah. With uh, his return after graduation in June, he's going to play in the two Chowder Cups uh, yeah. for the New England Pro-Am. And he's got tryouts with two North American League teams and two USHL teams to play okay. one more year of junior to pick up those 60 games. Because yeah, two yeah. years ago, he was a right-wing, left-hand shot. And they switched him to defense, which, considering he has a smidgen of my DNA, <laughs> he's, he's kind of tough in front of the net and yeah. a little bit in the corner. So he gets the puck, and he moves it, and he skates, and he's got that long reach. Um, you know, a little bit, He's he's got lots of potential – but he just needs good coaching and he yeah. needs development and maturity. And yeah. I think that that'll come from another 50, 60 games. And he's been away for two years. Yeah. So he doesn't have to come home and listen to me or listen to yeah. his mom or take out yeah. the trash or whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I think that, that that has something to do with it. He's been admitted to University of Maine. Sadly, their coach passed. Oh. Uh, their new coach, uh, Ben Gite and and their assistant Alf. Um, ben played. Uh, his dad played in Quebec. His dad yeah. went to Penn. So there's and, and Alf played in Vancouver. So I mean they they know of Max, but they just haven't seen him develop. Yeah. So yeah. this year we're gonna try this summer to get him 20 or 25 games where he can be seen. Yeah, so I think being seen is important, but yeah. for the homework aspect. Each kid who thinks that he wants to go on to a university or even junior hockey should do his homework on what the coach is like. What yep. what are the openings on that team? Do they have five returning defensemen or six? You know, are yep. you going to be battling for a spot or are you going to play? Because yep. you need blades on the ice in order to develop. And the fact is that, you know, some certain coaches, like I would have been a perfect guy for, for, for uh, Fred Shiro. Because yeah. I was like silly putty. I'd do whatever they mm -hmm. told me to do. Yeah. Run through the end of the rank. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I would have been good for Cherry. I would have been, I played for Brophy. Yeah. I was good for Brophy. But, yeah. you know, I, I ended up, I played for Jacques for a couple of years, Demers, and he was a good fella, but he didn't really utilize me as well as he could have. And I played for Floyd Smith and he hated me. And <laughs> I signed a big contract, but, you know, yeah. He hated me, so that was a bad fit. You know, that's wow. really good advice because it's true. The um, type of team and coaching and all that really will make a difference if you develop and get a lot of ice time, or if you're, you know, if your personalities mesh or what they want out of a player. Like, yeah, oh, 100%. The other thing is go down the roster and see what they have 
as far as where these kids are from and you know do they have uh three returning left wingers that are all great snipers that have been able to score a lot of goals well if you're going to be the fourth left winger you're not going to get a lot of power play time you know where the flyers really were able to you know put the whole alphabet soup together was that that First of all, Shiro, anything that was possible, he would do it, which was always new to the mm-hmm. NHL, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that sense, he was able to fit different guys in in different places and different roles. And he was always constantly thinking about how he could mesh the team. So yeah. you want to find a coach that has that same type of attitude about being progressive and working with you and communicating because you get a coach that doesn't talk to you with, you know, you might as well play for cement post. Right. Uh, They're not going to talk to you. Yeah. That's what I always tell the kids. The coach is always yelling at me. I said, the problem's going to be when he stops talking to you, <laughs> when he's not yelling at you, that's an issue. <laughs> you know, if, if, if he's silent with you, you know, pick up the game, but no, I, well, that was great information, Kim. I don't if you got I one last do. question. I do. I have for a Paul? quick question that has nothing to do with hockey. How did you start training <laughs> with Frazier? Like, how did that come about? Well, Mike Doyle used to own the deck. He owned Pete Richards Tavern and a number of different places around uh, Philadelphia. He was a big supporter of the Philadelphia Police and Fire, and uh, he was an Irishman, and he was from up Galway. And I went into the deck. Literally the first day I arrived at the University of Pennsylvania and he had the Summit Series on the TV. And there was a a fellow at the bar who had a little goatee and white hair and he was smoking a cigarette like a European. And we got talking and I I said, "Uh, you have an accent. He said, yeah. I said, what's your name? He goes, Ryzenovsky. I said, what do you do? He says, oh, I teach across the street. Turned out he was one of the leading... uh, leading professors uh, in in Russian history. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I'm sitting there talking to him, and this guy that owned the bar, Mike Doyle, was sitting there, and he overheard our conversation, and he introduced himself. Turns out that I had an uncle from uh, Orrin Moore, Galway, and da-da-da-da-da, and Mike became a great friend of mine, and he was a great friend of Joe Frazier's. Oh. So when I wasn't playing... I used to be the bouncer at Smokey Joe's uh-huh. up the street. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because um, I wasn't the biggest guy in comparison to, say, when the football team came in or right. the basketball yeah. guys. Yeah. But I, I, as I said before, I was from a place called Dorchester where all the uh, – uh, you know, the Weinbergers, <laughs> you know, all those <laughs> – um, they were all my brother's uh, clients. My brother was a probation officer, but, um, you know, the, the great actors that the whole family, and they just lost their mom last week. So um, I go up to uh, Joe Frazier's gym, and I'm kind of thinking it was like 49th Street or 50th Street, right up that way. And uh, I went in, and I could hit the bag, and I hit the heavy bag, and, and – uh, you know, they throw you a helmet and they throw you a pair of gloves and get in there. We're going to spar. And I look out and it's Joe Frazier. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I fought I a guy that was a pro yeah. one night. Uh, and uh, he hit me with a left. And I thought 
I was fighting him in Boston, but it turned out it was in San Francisco because all I could hear was the cable car bells. <laughs> <laughs> So That's I guess after that, stuff. nothing in the, on the ice even compared. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't one of those guys that held on. Right. And, no. um, and I also was a guy that that uh, I didn't demand respect. I didn't command respect. I earned it. And no. you can't earn it unless you show up mm-hmm. and don't blink. And it's <laughs> the same whether you're a player or a referee. You've got to have the courage of your convictions. And, no. you know, I... That's why I say, you know, I want you both to send my best wishes to your dads. For sure. uh, but the, the whole thing is that I was, a, I, I, don't, I don't believe in luck. I believe in hard work and persistence and all of those things. But you are talking to the luckiest guy that ever put on a pair of skates. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I have to say, too, before we go, that yeah. my brother will appreciate this interview so much. And even that little ending with you being the luckiest guy, like my, my brother <laughs> and my other brother, Chuck, um, were diehard fans up until like the 2000s when the game started to change. But they would look before every game to see who was refing. And they were hoping it was you. Like whenever you ref, you that was their favorite games. They knew it would be chippy. They knew you'd let the players play. Like they yeah. loved. They waited for the games that you were refing. And uh, oh, yeah, so he was really yeah. fired up to hear that you were going to be on because he just respects you so much. So. Well, and I loved coming. I I, I loved coming into Philly, and it's funny yeah. because I never went back to the campus because I hadn't really had a, a wonderful time with with the way it worked out for the hockey program and such. But I used to love to go to the Spectrum, and I used to love to go to the new uh, Wells Fargo Center. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Civic Center, uh, you know, when I played there. So it was always great, and it was great people. And, you know, if you if, if you follow Walt Disney and you wish upon a star, I, that's probably one wish. I wish I, wish I had been a flyer. Uh, you would have fit right in. It feels like you were. You were kind yeah. of. Well, orange, that orange didn't show the blood too much either. <laughs> yeah. I played like a hemophiliac. <laughs> well, you're an right, honorary cool. member. Yeah. Uh, thank <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Paul. Yeah, yeah thank I, you. I really appreciate it. That was amazing. And um, yeah, I loved it. I feel like we Stay could talk touch. for Yeah, for Stay sure. For touch. sure. Yeah, very good. Yeah, we really appreciate it. So hope to right. run into you someday. Best regards, in and uh, yeah, we'll be uh, we're, we'll be at Pat's or Geno's. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> might be the deck, or it might be Smoky Joe's. Yeah. I'm, I'm still <laughs> hey, anyone works, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bye Paul. Now. All right. Okay. Have a great day. Yeah, take Bye-bye. care. Bye. The Perrant Favel Generation X podcast is powered by Biscuit Tees and Favel Fitness. Bringing you unique comfort and style while optimizing a healthy, organic lifestyle. Yes.